Good morning, good morning. If you have your Bibles, I'd encourage you to take them and turn with me to the very first book of the Bible. That is the book of Genesis, the second chapter, Genesis chapter 2. Our text this morning as we launch will be in verses 15 through 24. That song that we just sang, Behold Our God. Uh, what, what an absolute uh, joy it is as we gather this morning. Um, I, I have that song um, I listen to when I uh, study, and it's one of those songs I just go back and you listen to it, and you go back and you listen to it, and you go back and you listen to it. Uh, I, I think of the great privilege that we have especially in light of creation that surrounds us in this time of the year. And there's a crispness and a coolness um, that just reminds us of God's perfect plan um, and the gift of His glory uh, that we get a chance to behold. I'm, I'm excited. I have a, a bit of um, nervousness, I, I guess. Uh, when it comes to this subject, I was looking back over files and records and and in all honesty, as far as preaching on the subject of sex and marriage, I, I've taught on it in a number of different settings, but I, I really have a very limited um, uh, uh, file, folder to draw from of how many times I've preached on this subject. And so there is a sense of hope that we handle it with great care. It's also a subject that I'm sure that you are uh, fully aware of. We could spend weeks and weeks on this very subject in light of all that God's Word has to say about it. But we're going to take somewhat of a high-altitude view of it and pray that God is glorified and that each one of us are challenged to examine and search our own hearts to make sure that we have a clear biblical perspective and understanding when it comes to learning about this amazing gift that God has given um, to married couples. Would you bow your heads, please, and pray with me as we seek God's counsel as we learn from His Word together. Father, we come before you and we do behold your glory. We pause on your majesty, on your might, on your infinite power and wisdom, your grace and your mercy and your love. And Father, we are grateful that you allow us to come to you through the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you, Lord, for your precious and perfect word that is perfectly applicable for where we are in life. And that it shines a, a bright light on the path that you've called for us to journey. Father, I would ask right now as we look into your word that you would um, guard my, my lips and my mouth. I would ask, Lord, that you would um, be with my mind so that as we learn together as followers of Jesus, that you'd be glorified. I pray, Lord, right now for individuals that, that inevitably will hear this message that are stuck, that are entrenched or ensnared in, in sin, particularly, Lord, in, in sexual sins. God, I would ask, Lord, that your Holy Spirit and your Spirit alone, through the power of your Word, would speak and, and would shine light and offer freedom that that would be seen and heard clearly this morning. We thank you for your love and your amazing gift and the plan that you have uh, for marriage. And I pray, Lord, that you would be with couples, perhaps, that are struggling. 
Father, I just pray that we become a church that is real. We're real towards one another and that we are completely real as we fall on our faces before you. We thank you, Lord, for this time together. I would ask, Lord, that you would guide us each step of the journey. We ask these things in the precious and powerful name of our Savior, Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. And amen. As we continue on in our, our series, uh, what I call Lessons for Life, um, learning to live for the glory of God. Everything that we do is for God's glory, and we do it in this classroom called life. Uh, it occurred to me last week, and maybe I'm just a little bit of a slow learner that way, that as I was preaching on the subject of money, um, and, and it occurred to me, and I think I even commented in our Q&A, how, how little we talk about it um, as a church um, with our children, other than to complain about it or argue about it, I was struck with the fact that there is another subject that we speak even less about. Yet it is a, it is a subject, or I, I should say, um, a, a twisted, distorted view of a subject that is heard by many, many people from the world on a regular basis. It is the subject of, of sex and marriage. Thus the importance for truth. Thus the importance when everyone is speaking about this subject to go to the Word of God and see exactly and specifically what is it that God has to say on this subject. The reason being is that there are many. Now I want to make it very clear. Not, not all, but there are many marriages that are struggling, and, and oftentimes it's a direct connection to this particular subject. We, we have a host of husbands that are hurting, that, that do not know how to love their wife as Christ loves the church. We have wives that are wondering what in the world I got myself into here. This is not what I expected or what I thought. And we have kids. We have we have a host of young people who are completely confused about this subject because they're listening to the world and they're learning about this subject, what they think is this subject, from, from Teen Mom on MTV. Or, or they think they're learning about this subject by images that are exchanged on Snapchats or viewed in, in, in locker rooms. As, as a result of that, people think that that sex is something, sadly, to be experimented with as a young person, or as a result, experimented with as a That something that has been designed by the very hand of God and intended by God to be enjoyed and to be celebrated by husband and wife has oftentimes been reduced to a lustful urge. To a, to a physical act of what is referred to today as, as hooking up by two teenagers after school because I felt like it or because it feels good. Now, now think about that philosophy for a moment. If it feels good, do it. It, it has led to what? It has led to what I would call a mass mess around us on this particular 
subject so that divorce is epidemic. There are people with multiple partners and infidelity and adultery and homosexuality. We have a society claiming that gay sex or gay marriage is something to be enjoyed and celebrated. It is completely descriptive of what Paul wrote to the church at Rome in Romans chapter 1. Therefore, God gave them up. You want this? God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. Why? It says because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and they worshipped and they served what? The creature themselves rather than the Creator. It seems that it seems that everyone from from everywhere are saying everything about the subject of sex except the church. Why is that? Why is that? Especially in light of the fact that the Bible speaks volumes. The word of God shouts very clear and very loud on this subject, and it is not in a forbidding, foreboding tone. It is not in a puritanical sex is bad or sex is wrong approach. Yet for some reason, pastors are pausing on this. They're not preaching from the pulpits on this subject. The subject that is an amazing gift that is given directly by God to a husband and wife. So much so that it is for marriage alone. And in that relationship, it is a direct connection. It's actually a correlation of the closeness and the intimacy that can and should exist, not only between husband and wife, but between what? The the bridegroom, the Lord Jesus Christ, and the bride, His church, you and I. Now, as, as we speak on this subject, I want you to think of it like this. When, when our kids were young, they would ask the bar something, Hey, Dad, can I borrow your flashlights? And you would, you would let them borrow your flashlight, and it's, it's a flashlight. Put it back where you found it, all right? Don't hit your sister over the head with it. That, that's basically the guidelines. But as, as your little one grows up, they ask for something, Hey, Dad, can I borrow your fishing rod? All right. But remember, watch the hook. That's sharp. Okay? Make sure you put it back where you find it. Don't hit your sister over the head with it. Other than that, there's not a lot of instruction. A little bit more. Hey, hey Dad, and when they grow up, can, can I borrow the Jeep? And, and, and automatically, because there's something of more value, there's a lot more guidelines. You have to, you have to finish what? Driver's ed. You've got to pass the test. You've got to have insurance on that. Go ahead. You have to make sure you're back by a certain time. Don't, don't drive over other people. Don't go too fast. Whatever it is, there's all these. Why? Because there's something that is of more value. There's a lot more, what, expectations. There's a lot more responsibilities. So it is with the subject of sex. This thing has such great value that God says you can't just do whatever you want with it. Think of it like that. Think of it as a precious gift. I was listening, I was reading, I listened to a lot of messages this week and did a lot on this subject. And Francis Chan was preaching. Was pre- so.
huge God and on the greatness of God's. And he was with young people and, and he was trying to describe the glory of God. He said, you know what I think of when I think about God's glory? I think about sex. Of course, Francis Chan can get away with that. And he said, think of it like this. He said, God could have made your wife get pregnant by holding her hands. But he didn't do it like that, did he? God in his glory gave us something that is so precious and so wonderful. We have to see the Lord all over this. Now, last week we began as we looked in Genesis chapter 1 about the importance of stewardship. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created a male and female who created them. God blessed them. He said, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth, subdue it, have dominion over it. The importance of being responsible stewards with what God has gifted to us. A lot of times we think it, it kind of ends there. It actually begins there. It doesn't stop there. It starts there. Pick up with me in Genesis chapter 2, verse 15. And we'll read down through our text this morning, down through the end of the chapter, verse 24. Excuse me, here we go. Genesis chapter 2, verse 15. The Lord took the man and he put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, you, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Then the Lord said, and I I love this, it is not good that the man should be alone. Amen to that. I will make him a helper that is fit for him. Now out of the ground, the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the livestock, to all the birds of heaven, to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper that was fit for him. So the Lord caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, he took one of his ribs and and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman, brought her to the man. Then the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast or cleave to his wife. And they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and they were not ashamed. Okay, here it is. Here here it is. We are introduced for the first time to our subject. Sex and marriage according to God's perfect design. Okay, so here it is. I want you to imagine perfect man. Wives, I want you to envision your husband. He is the perfect man. Okay, now now there also is perfect woman. So husbands, there's only one perfect woman. That is your wife. 
You imagine that, and they are together in the cool of the day. It is an amazingly beautiful and a lush garden. The sun sets, and there is a light, cool breeze. Everything is perfect. Even the temperature is perfect. And as they walk together, hand in hand, this couple communicates with such complete openness. They both express their thoughts, their emotions, their needs, their desires. And there is what? There is no miss. Imagine that. No miscommunication. No misunderstanding. They are totally in sync. Completely satisfied. Every time they talk, there is a deep emotional connection. Every time they make love, there is perfect passion and synchronicity. Such a romantic term, isn't it? Synchronicity, maybe. Um, why, don't, why don't you see that on anniversary cards anywhere? So I'm going to talk to Hallmark about that. Every time they talk with God, there is, there is a spiritual intimacy you've never enjoyed before. Their, their minds are in tune. Their bodies are in tune. Their souls are in tune. Marriage, then, is God's creative ideal. Marriage is, as I wrote this week, it is to be a reflection of perfection. That's what our marriage is. Think of it like that. Every morning you wake up next to your spouse. Is that your goal? A reflection of perfection? God's creative ideal? And we know that God created this and designed this to be absolutely and exclusively between one man, one woman for one lifetime. We see this all the way through Scripture from Genesis chapter 2, the first book, to the end of the Old Testament, Malachi chapter 2, where God says, what? I hate divorce. I hate this. There's little that God says, I hate. We understand that according to Matthew chapter 5, there is an exception clause for the sting and sin of adultery. And I know that some of you have suffered divorce. Some of you have felt that sting. Throughout the New Testament, there is teaching. Paul and Peter address this subject of sex. The Lord Jesus Christ teaching when asked about the subject of divorce in Matthew chapter 19. Where does he go? He goes back to Genesis chapter 2. And he quotes... He says what? A man is to leave his father and his mother. Adam and Eve obviously did not have a problem with that. And there's a further defining of marriage. It says that they are to hold fast, or some translations use the word cleave, to his wife and they become one flesh. Now that word cleave is somewhat of, it, it almost sounds a little old. We don't seem to hear the word or... or or use the word a lot. When we think of the word cleave, you think, I mean, in all honesty, you almost think like a cleaver, like a meat cleaver. You, you cut something, you separate something. Actually, it's the complete opposite of that. To, to cleave, actually, it meant the idea of glue. It meant the idea of being stuck to something so totally close that it could not, you, you, you cannot pull it apart. It also carries the idea, it's interesting to see some lexicons indicate that, that the word I, cleave means pursuing after. 
that there's a coming together in which there was a mutual pursuit, a constant pressing towards one another. Think of it like this. To cleave is pursuing love. It doesn't stop. It doesn't end. Let me, let me remind you of this. Husbands and wives, if you are not pursuing your spouse, you're pursuing something else. Or you're pursuing someone else, which is totally wrong. It's not part of God's plan. To cleave means to remain glued together in mind and will and spirit and emotion and purpose. You expand upon this word cleave. What is it? It's the word marriage. There's a great Hebrew term. The Jewish word for marriage is kedushin. It, it, means, it actually means, which we don't think of this with the word marriage, it actually means sanctific- sanctification or consecration or to be set apart. Kedushin, something that is, that is totally devoted and dedicated to God. It becomes His own personal possession. Anything that would be totally given to God, anything that is totally surrendered to God, is described in Hebrew as kedushin. It's a great word for marriage. Because it speaks about a total commitment of one person to another person. It's the consecration of a spouse so that it becomes exclusive from every other human relationship. It is actually similar to the word sacrifice. You offer a sacrifice... To God, what it, it has been burned up. You cannot, you will not be able to take it back. Marriage is then by definition in the, in the book of Genesis and by affirmation of the Lord Jesus Christ in his teaching in both the Gospel of Matthew and the, the Gospel of, of Mark is a permanent union. Twice Jesus teaches on it. And he says what man, excuse me, what God has put together, let no one, pull apart. No man, you don't even have the authority to pull your own marriage apart according to what it says. Yet you look around us. Truth is, the reality is, one out of two marriages will fail in our society. Divorce equals a home that is fragmented. Divorce equals a broken home. When there's a broken home, it means what? That there, there, there is a parent or parents that are not present. Parents who have a responsibility to offer love to their children. And kids who are receiving and waiting to receive that love because they need to be loved are not going to receive it which means what they're going to go looking for love or what they think it is from somewhere from someone else which is going to produce what and it's proven all over the place that broken homes that divorce results oftentimes not every time oftentimes and most of the time in promiscuity from the behavior of the children, which leads to what? Make, make, make the list. Sexually transmitted diseases. Unwanted in teenage pregnancies. Which, what? It kind of duplicates, which leads to more unstable and broken and single-parent homes. Or, or, or what's worse, and, and we have seen this in our society, it leads to abortion. 
an unwanted child. Well, let's eliminate this child. Then, then you begin to have here, you begin to, to devalue not only the sacredness of marriage, but you begin to devalue the sanctity of human life. And then what happens? There is no end. There is no end to the destruction. And it becomes a landslide of sin, separation, destruction, and painful consequences as a result. So, so we get to where we are now. There has been what an entire generation of hurting, confused, and even angry young people who grow up to become hurting, confused, and angry big people or adults. And yet we step back and we say, wait a minute, God has created us in His image. He's created us male and female with personhood and sexual passions. All of that with a purpose to describe the promises, to describe the pleasures of our covenant relationship that we are to have with Him. That's what's behind this. And after you a quote in your insert, and we'll get to those points in a moment, kind of takeaways at the end. John Piper says this, God, God made us powerfully sexual so that He would be more deeply knowable. Do you think of, of the relationship of, of, a, of sex between a husband and wife as something that God actually has designed so that we know Him more? We were given the power to know our spouse sexually so that we might have some hint, we might get a glimpse of what it will be like to know Christ supremely. So we've got to understand what's happening, hun. Uh, right here, we understand all of the, in every one of the misuses of sexuality that exist in our culture. What are they? Adultery and fornication, pornography, which is a plague. Masturbation, illicit fantasies, homosexuality, bisexuality, um, uh, rape, incest, child sexual abuse. We we have pedophilia in our culture, bestiality, exhibitionism, and the list goes on and on and on. Every one of those misuses, they distort what? They distort one's true knowledge and understanding of who God is. When we examine the truth of the subject, God means for a human sexual life to be a pointer, a foretaste of the relationship that we can have with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I was listening this week to another message from Rabbi Zacharias. And he's preached on the Gospel of Mark in chapter 10. It says what in, in verse 6? Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. Again, Jesus is speaking. He's quoting uh, Genesis chapter 2. It says the two shall become one flesh, so they no longer are two, but they are one. What God has joined together, let no man separate it's interesting that Zacharias said that this is not just describing, it's not just describing the consummate relationship of exclusive binding of truth between a husband and wife. It's a pattern, it's a preamble for the way that he has actually created and how he has created man and woman. Think about this. A husband and wife's relationship is so powerful that what it develops a closer bond than parent to child's when what? The child has the parent's bloods 
flowing through their veins. It's a blood relationship between a parent and child, and God has designed this in such a powerful way that a husband and wife's relationship is closer than even that. Imagine that. Marriage relationship is so sacred, it is envisioned from the very beginning. It was created with a distinctiveness to become a permanent bond. It transcends, it is higher than every other human relationship. Yet yet something happened here. Something what? Genesis chapter 3 is the fall of mankind. Adam and Eve believed a lie. And since that time, mankind has not stopped believing lies. Genesis chapter 3, what is the first consequence? There was an immediate awareness of their nakedness and there was a shame to it. And there has been a spiraling down effect ever since. Now before we say, well, wait a minute, it's not just this. We see sexual sin all the way throughout the Bible. Rape and incest and homosexuality, it, it has existed in many cultures. And it has bubbled up the Egyptian culture, the Roman Empire. And, and we see in the Old Testament there are strict penalties as a result of sexual sin. There were costly sacrifices. But yet Christ changed that. We, we live today in an age of grace. And even in our own culture, in our own society, something recently, within the last couple of decades, has transpired that is unprecedented of any other culture. And I really believe in listening and reading and studying that it begins with the sexual revolution of the 60s. Where, where there was something that took place that patterns, whole patterns began to change. And sex became a thing that people could be entertained with, unabashedly entertained with, so that there's no, there's no more apology. There's no more shame for the brazenness of nakedness, nudity that exists in our culture today. Especially what has happened. It has, it has drawn younger and younger people into it. Younger people have hungers and desires that will be with them for the rest of their lives. So dangerous is this that no one human being can actually meet their desires. Why? Because they're not in pursuit of a person. They're in pursuit of a feeling. If it feels good, then go ahead and do it. Now think about this. If you are looking for a feeling that will transcend the previous experience all the time, you've actually eclipsed the value of a person and the person becomes a means to your end. Dangerous, destructive place to be. And our sinful flesh left to itself knows no end other than destruction. Um, um, Naomi Zacharias is the director of Wellspring International. It's a ministry that deals with young girls, women that have been trafficked into the sex trade. It's interesting to listen to the testimony of Naomi that she actually goes into into the very rooms and, and, and the boxes 
of these young girls in brothels in Bangladesh or Thailand, in South Africa, in Amsterdam, and she will go in with her Bible and she will sit with them and she will share the gospel with them and she will pray with them. And she, she speaks about the fact that as she meets these young girls, the, the stories are almost identical. How they have been lied to, they've been manipulated in some way that some man somewhere tricked her into thinking what something that was not true. And they were ensnared. What's interesting is that the men who lied to these young women almost every single time comes back to the identical story that they were ensnared or introduced, particularly from a young age, to pornography. That, that that's really, you want to begin to understand where things begin. It's that industry. You, you understand the destructiveness of that. Now we've got to get to a place, if we're a church that's going to cut its way into the community with the gospel of Jesus Christ, and I've said it repeatedly, we have got to get real with one another. Men have got to have other men alongside of them, holding them accountable. It's something that has had a devastating effect on marriages and the crumbling of marriages. Something at one point that was exclusively reserved for a seedy theater somewhere or you have to go to the corner store to get it is now available, what, on every single smartphone, on every single computer screen, iPad. It's everywhere. It's that accessible. Yet why... why why would you want your marriage, which is a reflection of the relationship that we can have with a holy God, why, why would you want your marriage destroyed by that stuff? So what, what we do is we have got to shine light here. We've got to, to, to open up the lid and shine and say there is what? There is, there is direction and instruction. I like the way that Piper says it. He says that there is actually theology that can conquer biology. Or he says it even more specifically, that there is justification that can conquer fornication. And there's where the hope of the gospel exists as light for all of us to have hope and freedom. The clearest verses, I believe, speak on this are in Colossians, in chapter 2, listen to this, in verse 13, in verse 14, and you who were dead in your trespasses, you were stuck in your sin. What does it say later? That God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. And I love this phrase, canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. L look, at, look at this. Look at this. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Did you realize the hope that exists? The record of debt that stood against us. And it says that God took it and he nailed it to the cross. Well, when did that, when, how, what? 2,000 years ago wasn't something that was mystical that happened in your mind. It, it was not something that was made up. God did this real thing for you and He did it outside of you. 
make sure that you understand the glorious truth. God took the record of all of your sins. Think about all of your sexual failings, whatever they may be of the past. That you were a debtor to wrath. Instead of holding them up as, as what a, a ticket to, to hell that you deserve or I deserve. God, in a sense, placed them in the palm of His own Son's hand and nailed them to the cross and freed you and freed me to get a clear view and a clear glimpse of a perfect, pure, and a holy relationship. That, that's the hope that exists regardless of what has happened in the past, what you are struggling with right now. Very quickly, let me give you five takeaways. And you've got to write fast for these, but I really want you to hold on to them and we'll make them available to you if you can't get them right now. Number one, understand this. Understand that marriage is a picture of the relationship that exists between Christ and the church. We have to know that. For, it is foundational truth. Understand that marriage is a picture that, that can exist between Christ and the church. Number two, speak truthfully. Speak lovingly on the important place that sex and marriage hold in God's plan. If we're silent about it, then what? The, the, the loud, wrong lies of the world are going to be hurts. So we have to speak truthfully and lovingly on the important place that sex and marriage hold in God's plan. Number three, strive to not just talk about, but husbands and wives, moms and dads, model a godly example of marriage for the next generation at all costs. Keep this, keep this subject as precious. Keep it what? In the sense, God-honoring in every way. That if you're struggling as a husband, if you're struggling with a wife, that you confess, that you bring others alongside. Strive to not just talk about it, but model a godly example of marriage for the next generation. I know I'm going quickly, but number four, remember that God offers hope. And God offers healing from all sexual failures of the past. All sexual sins. Remember that. Remember that God offers hope. God offers to heal us from all sexual failures and sexual sins of the past. Fifthly and finally, commit to go deeper. Commit to bring the struggle that perhaps that you are in into light to get help, to seek biblical guidance, counsel, and accountability. And you're like, how am I supposed to write this down that fast? Let me say it to you again. Commit to go deeper. Commit to be real. Bring a, a struggle that perhaps that you are in into the lights. If it means calling a pastor, an elder, if it means, ladies, for you calling an accountability friend or partner, if it means calling a counselor, talk to us and we can direct you so that you can be free from that. Commit to go deeper, bring the struggle into light, and seek accountability counsel. 
I know that that's a lot. Again, as I told you earlier, that you could spend a lot of time. You could go a lot of directions. And so it's kind of a high-altitude view of this precious and perfect gift, but it's a reminder of the relationship that we can have with the Lord Jesus Christ. Today, which I think at first I was like, well, I'm not quite sure in the connection. This is actually a perfect connection to the communion table because it demonstrates the price when it says, husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church, well, well, here's a perfect example. He gave himself entirely and totally. And men, you and I know that as selfish individuals, we struggle with this every day. We know that, that wives are to submit. Controversial subject, hupatasa, we don't want to talk. But, but what did... Lord Jesus Christ do to the authority of His heavenly Father, but surrendered and submitted. And we see that in the cross. We know that Jesus was very clear in teaching this lesson to the disciples, and and we are commanded to regularly do this until the Lord comes. And so Jesus was sitting with the, the disciples, and He took bread, He broke it, and He gave an object lesson, a picture. The disciples and and the Word of God, the Spirit of God gives to us a picture. This is Christ's body that was broken for you. He suffered on your behalf. He paid the price, took the penalty, freed us by allowing His body to be broken and nailed to the cross. We know that Christ also, as He was speaking with His disciples, says that He took the fruit of the vine and as He poured it, He said, this is is a picture of my blood that is poured out for you. The blood is the lifeline. It was Christ's life in complete perfection, in complete holiness, and His death in complete plan and obedience that offers what? The cleansing, the washing of our sins through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this cup is a picture of that. Some some false teaching would say that this literally becomes or literally is the, the body and the blood. No, it's bread and it's a cup. And so we are to regularly do this. Let me remind you, as, as I oftentimes do, that if you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, if you're not a member of Big Woods Bible Church, that's okay. This is for you. You're part of the family of God's. Let me also remind you that if you are here this morning and you have not surrendered your life to Christ, I don't want to be rude in any way, but I would ask that you refrain from this because it would be meaningless. It would be silly for you to take that. To to impress the person sitting next to you, God sees your heart. God knows your heart. God also knows that what? When you confess with your mouth and you believe, you repent, you can follow Him. And I invite you to do that even right now, in this very moment. You can say, Lord, I'm Yours. I know that my sin deserves eternal separation from You, but because of the gift that You offered, in complete holiness and perfection, You took the place. And I accept You as my Savior. I want to follow You as Lord. And You can do that. If you have questions about that, speak with me afterwards or any one of the elders. 
I'm going to ask the, our, our elders to come at this time, and they're going to serve this to you. Let me just remind you that we're going to serve you the, the bread first, and then we're going to pause and ask God's blessing on both the bread and the cup. Okay? And then we'll celebrate this picture, this reminder of what Jesus Christ has done for us through obedience um, of observing uh, the Lord's Supper. Gentlemen. Father, we come before you um, as recipients of your gift of grace, and we thank you. We express a heartfelt gratitude that you have saved us from our sins, and it's nothing that we can do in and of ourselves, but it is entirely of you. We thank you, Lord, that you give to us uh, the call to obey. We thank you, Lord, for your word that promises the Spirit to assist us. We rejoice, Lord, in the sacrifice that was given on our behalf. We thank you for the body and the blood of Christ. We thank you, Lord, for this bread and this cup that are pictures of it. God, I would ask that as we partake of it, that we had a a renewed awareness, a a reminder so that it, it drives us out of here. With, with a passion to speak of the hope that exists for the good news of Jesus. 
Thank you for this. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. It says that the Lord Jesus Christ, in the same night which he was betrayed, took bread. And it says, after he gave thanks, he broke it, and he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Thank you, uh, my brothers, for serving us. It says in the same way, um, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Amen. Thank you.